It's always cool to be at the mine on Tuesday, but we have an extra special evening for you tonight. Um, besides uh, Seth's wonderful worship, which he's going to do in just a few moments, we have a very special guest with us tonight. I'm going to introduce her to you and let her come up and just answer a few questions you may have. Uh, Caroline is from Kenya, Africa, and she is here to... Caroline, come on up. Um, she is with an orphanage in Kenya, Africa, and they are helping just a lot of children over there, uh, and they're also sharing Jesus Christ with these children as well as providing for them uh, whatever. She's coming to the States to look for sponsors. Uh, they just don't have enough funds and enough space and all of that to do what they really want to do and what they believe God wants them to do with these children in Kenya, Africa. So she's here for a couple of months at Cornerstone, and she's going to be working with us here at the church and whatever. And uh, we are so glad that she's here tonight. I got to meet her for the first time today, and uh, she was at our staff meeting this morning. And so let's give Caroline a warm welcome, first of all, for being here. Yeah. And I just want to take a few moments tonight to give Caroline this platform to let you start to get to know her, and you'll see her around the church. And maybe some of you have some questions for her, and she could also give us some information. And after a few minutes, then Seth's going to come up, do worship, and then we're going to finish up the book of Hebrews tonight. All right? Yeah. So, Caroline, I'm going to turn it over to you. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God again. Praise, praise God. God. That's how we greet each other in Huruma. When you say praise God, you say praise God. Amen. Praise God. You then, then you say praise God again. When I say the Lord is good, uh, God is good, then you say all the time. All the time. God is good. Okay. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Again. Again. <laughs> God is good. And all the time. All the time. No, and all the time, and God, God is good. good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll teach you that. Okay. God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good, yes. My name is Caroline Aserian, and I came to know about Cornerstone through Lisa. Lisa came to Huruma for three weeks when they were here, when they were in Kenya. And uh, we became very good f uh, friends with Lisa, and she got to know where I live. Mama Zipora and Baba Isaac are my biological parents. But when I was young, my mother got a degenerative heart disease. She was dying. That was way back in 1984. I was only three years old. And my mother said, God, if you heal me just because of my children, I'll give you thanks by taking care of an orphan child. The only thing she did not state is how many orphan children <laughs> do you need to, to help. And God told her, because you did not state, I have so, so many. So since I was a young baby, I've been brought up in the orphanage. We eat the same food that they eat. We clothe the same clothes that you clothe. In fact, in fact when, uh, when there's a donation of clothes, the clothes are distributed to everybody, notwithstanding whether you are mama's child or not. And she's a witness of that. In terms of eating food, we eat the same food. 
We have a special food called ugali. Ugali is a wheat flour that has been really, really cooked until it becomes like a hard ball, then it is cut. And uh, it's one of our staple foods. It's one of the best. <laughs> and we eat it. And whatever we eat, the children eat. And currently, what we are doing is that we are raising funds to build shelter for our children. Our children are living on 3,500 square feet of a house, and they are 150. Wow. But you see, it is better than them sleeping on the streets. Because like now, uh, we have, the children have very, very touching backgrounds. I'll give you an example of two. One of them is Audrey. She was brought to her room on February when she was only hours old. The mother, after giving birth, left her all bloody in a field and went away. A passerby rescued her, and she was nearly dying. And the other one is Gushu. He's a boy. He was sexually molested by his father. So we have children from different backgrounds, but when they come to Huruma, it's the only refuge that they have. It's the only place that they can call home. Most of them, they don't know who their relatives are, like no Audrey. We'll never know whom the mother was. We'll never know anything about her. Those are the ch that's now where Huruma comes in. We become the father and the mother of the children. And we only accept children from uh, the government and from the children's department because those are genuine cases. Because we've had instances where relatives, uh, a mother has brought in her own child and lied to us that this is my niece and the mother is dead. When all this, when all this child grows up to an adolescent stage, the child becomes so difficult and you wonder what's happening. And then one day in an outburst of anger, the child tells you, my mother is alive. And you're like, no, but it states there your mother is dead. No, the one who brought me is my mother. So now that is the reason why we have really, so, so that we can help the most genuine cases, we only accept children from the government. And currently, as I told you, we did a walkathon on uh, April. We walked for 27 kilometers to raise funds to build a better shelter. And we hope that once the shelter is up and running, you're going to help 200 children. And you're going to build a story one. If you also even have the plants, by the way, it's by faith. Because it's by faith. Everything is by faith. We've built, uh, uh, you know, we, we have already drawn the plants. It's a story building with staircases on this side and on this side to separate the boys and the girls. And the core <laughs> principles of Furuma is Christianity. Jesus is our donor. God is our donor. No one can say he or she is our donor. No, God is our donor. So whenever we need anything, we go on our knees and pray. And Lisa is a witness. Every morning, like now, for example, uh, like not, during the school, the school time, for example, from Monday to Friday, 150 children, you cannot wake them up at 7. We, we wake up at 4.45. People to bed, to wear clothes, prepare themselves, for the school ahead. And on weekends, now they can sleep in. But on weekdays, we really want them to know that apart, apart from us giving them food and clothing, the only thing that you can give them as an inheritance 
is education. Because we cannot buy for each and every child a land. We cannot buy for each and every child a car something. No. But education is the best inheritance you can give unto them. And we are happy because three of, three of them are joining university this year. Wow. And many of them are joining high school this year, at the end of this year, so we are happy. And as time goes on, I know that next time when I come here, the building will be up. And I tell you, help me, children. And God bless you. Here's what I wanted to share tonight with you folks. And we want to get Caroline out there. For a few dollars a month, you can sponsor one of these orphans in their orphanage, whether it be their elementary school or high school or even college, sending them to a university. Uh, compared to what the cost is in the United States, it is just unbelievably, you know, nothing. And yet, you are impacting these children over there like you would not believe. Their goal uh, is to take these orphans in Kenya to educate them, to teach them about Jesus Christ, to bring them into a relationship with Christ, and then have them one day be the leaders of the nation of Kenya. Uh, wouldn't God just do something like that? That's just the way God works, you know. Uh, we thank you, Caroline, for being here and for sharing that. If you have any questions for her, uh, again, she's going to be around the church. If you would like to sponsor one of those children or whatever, you can see her or see Lisa. Uh, Lisa, anything you would like to add to what Caroline said tonight? No, go right ahead. It's just it's such a cool place. And it's so neat to go to some place like that and see kids have the joy of the Lord. And when you think of 150 kids that live in 3,500 square feet, okay, I have a 3,400 square foot house, and there was like three or four of us. So I'm just like, how do they do that? But they sleep two to three to a bed, and they're okay with that because... They have a bed. They have a pillow, and it's clean. And this is the cleanest place I've ever been in my life. I mean, they just they just do such a great job with these children. But um, I just wanted to add on about the day. I was just so impressed when I was there. They wake up at 445. They prepare themselves, which they get themselves stressed because they teach the kids to be independent. And then they have prayer time for a half hour, and then they have breakfast. Then they have chapel Monday through Friday for an hour where they worship God. Mm. More than we worship. I mean, it's very different. And it's incredible the, the way they worship the Lord in song and, and with the Bible and a strong study. And then they go to school, and in all their classes all day long, they hear about Jesus. Amen. So Amen. these kids have so much joy in their life. Um, and then they have prayer time again for a half hour every night. Wow. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. So $25 actually will feed, clothe, um, do uniforms, and everything for a child a month, $25 a month. And if they're in high school, they ask for $40 because when they're in high school, they go away to a different school. So Mama Sephora and Daddy, they have to uh, pay for their boarding to go to that public high school. And so it's $40. And the university, for kids who are going to university, there's three of them right now, um, it's $60. It's only like $700 a year to send them to a university. And it is very, very hard to get into the university. You have to have extremely good marks. It's just like it is if you were going to go to ASU. So they really prepare them because they really encourage their kids to um, – to go to school, to get their education, and not only have that relationship with Jesus, but they want them to grow up 
and the leading citizens, okay, in their country and make a difference for Christ. Um, we're going to leave some papers in the back, but next over the next few weeks, she's going to be here for two months at our church, so you'll get to see her. We're going to be sending out photographs, so you'll actually be able to pick a child and the picture. I can tell you about this family and Mama Sephora's that whatever you donate, if you ever want to give special gifts for your child, it will go to that child, 100%. So one of the girls that we sponsor... Um, we're actually going to get her a guitar because she's just really, she's into music, she's very gifted, she has a great ear, and that's part of what we want to do. But that's, that's what they do. So whatever you designate, that is how that's going to go. So you just need to feel very confident about that. Mm. Okay? Very so. cool. Very cool. Thank you. 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 Yes, real quick. Okay. It's one one sponsor per child. They know they're doing it right now only because they don't have any sponsors yet. They're just not starting this program. This is new, and so you have the opportunity to get it. Hey, uh, this is Seth's last week because he's not going to be here next week. So let's give Seth a round of appreciation. Yeah. The good news, though, is Seth is going to be back with us in August when we start the mine back up. So, yeah, exactly. We're going to be so glad to have him here. All right. Hebrews chapter 13. By the way, I, uh, I got a few questions tonight already. And I got like three or four from last week. So any of you that want to ask me a question, just write it down and give it to me at the end of class. And we'll cover as many of those next week as we can. And again, next week's our last one together for a while. So I hope you'll be able to come out. We're going to try to make it a special evening together. All right, Hebrews. Again, each week stands on its own, but I just want to say once again that one of the main reasons why the writer of Hebrews wrote these encouraging words was these folks that were reading these words needed an extra strength. Um, they needed an inner strength from an outside source. And so that's where I want to begin tonight. You'll notice in chapter 13, verse 8, uh, we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever as we ended last week. He is the rock, the same firm, firm foundation today that He was yesterday and will still be the same tomorrow when you and I trust Him And then in verse 9, the writer says, Do not be carried away by all sorts of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not ritual meals which have never benefited those who participated in them. I want to direct your attention to that phrase in verse 9, which is a key phrase in the book. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. The word strengthen literally means an inner strength that I can gain from an outside source. The outside source here is identified as grace. Here's the great thing about God's grace. That's really where our strength comes from. That's what the writer of Hebrews wanted to remind them of at the very end of this book. Again, last words are lasting words. And he was trying to tell them, listen, guys, I know you need a strength beyond yourselves. 
I know you need a strength outside of yourselves in order to continue to push forward and to make progress and to move forward in your relationship with God in spite of all the obstacles and trials and suffering and persecution that you are going through right now. That strength will come as you and I, in a sense, lock into God's grace. You see, the great thing about why God's grace gives us strength, the Bible, first of all, teaches us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, It's by grace we're saved and brought into a right relationship with God. So we understand if we know Christ is our Savior, that we didn't do anything to to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It was a gift that was freely given to us by God. All we had to do was place our faith in Christ and He becomes our Savior. That's grace. And so God is saying, here's where the strength comes from. That you and I can wake up every day knowing that God loves me just as much today as He did the day before and will the day after. He cannot love me anymore. He'll never love me any less. His love for me is unconditional because I didn't do anything to get this relationship with Him. Therefore, I cannot do anything ever to somehow destroy that relationship. We are... We're here. Alright? That's grace. That's what's going to bring strength and stability because you know that there is nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's strength. That is stability, if you will. Now, some always say, whoa, 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 whoa. You start teaching that kind of grace, and you're going to have people who just live any way they want to, and, and they're just going to say, well, you know, if, if, if God's going to forgive me no matter what I do, and I've got this relationship, then I... Can't I just do whatever I want to do and He's still going to love me anyway? But you see, when you and I truly understand God's grace, and we truly understand the grace that's taught in the Bible, we're going to have just the opposite mentality. In fact, in the book of Romans, and we're going to get to that next semester, in the book of Romans in chapter 6, here's what Paul says. Should we continue to sin so that God's grace can just be poured out? And Paul's answer is, absolutely not. You see, a person who truly understands God's grace isn't going to be motivated to take advantage of that grace and not appreciate that grace. Actually, a person who truly understands God's grace as it's taught in the Bible and as it's manifested in our relationship with God is going to be motivated to get away from sin and to cease from sinning and by the power of God to do righteousness. That's what God's grace will do. That's the kind of strength that God's grace supplies. It supplies a kind of strength that can say no to sin and yes to God. That's the kind of strength that it supplies. So it's not something where if they truly understand God's grace, where people are going to take advantage of God. No, just the opposite. It's going to motivate them to actually live a life pleasing to God. And that's where our strength comes from. Because again, it goes back to, I know that though I want to please God, I know that God's attitude towards me is never going to change. That's where the strength comes from. That's why he says every morning when you and I wake up, we need to get a bowl of grace flakes (laughs) or grace pops or grace krispies, if you will. And we need to eat the grace because it's only when we Lock into God's grace are we strengthened. Notice he goes on to say it's not by 
It's not by trying to obey a bunch of rules and regulations and rituals. It's not about living some kind of special diet. Because back in this time, there was this thing going around that if you just had this special diet in your life, it'd make you strong. And he says, I'm telling you right now that the heart is not strengthened by ritual meals. He says, people who have eaten these ritualistic meals have never benefited from that. They've never gotten this inner strength. Because you and I can't get an inner strength from doing some ritual or by trying to adhere to a certain set of rules and regulations. But we can find that inner strength through God's grace. That's why in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we studied that where the writer of Hebrews says, let's come boldly or confidently under the throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need. God's grace is available. His inner strength that comes from outside of us is always available to us. And we need to just lock in to that grace. And it is that grace which will provide the strength to keep on keeping on. Now, as we move down through here, then notice, do not get carried away then by all sorts of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not ritual meals which have never benefited those who participated in them. And we have an altar that those who even serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat from. And the reason we have an altar that they have no right to eat from, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is because we've come through Jesus Christ and His shed blood. And therefore, as we've learned in the book of Hebrews, we have access to God at any time, any place, anywhere, through the way that Jesus Christ provided. Those priests are still doing the animal sacrifices. They've not acknowledged the one Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. And so they have no right because they're still looking at these animal sacrifices and all the rituals and rules and regulations of Old Testament Judaism to bring them into a right relationship with God and to provide strength for them. And as we've learned throughout our study of the book of Hebrews, the law and all that was bound up in there was never designed by God to give us inner strength, to give us the power to be able to live the life that God intended for us to live. All the law was given for was to show us what God expected. But it was never the power to be able to do what God expected. That comes through grace. That comes through the Spirit of God. That comes through other means, through the Word of God. But it does not come through trying to adhere to that. Now that's huge today because even today you've got people, you've got Christians even, who they're in a right relationship. They have Jesus Christ as their Savior, but then after they get saved... They try to live the Christian life in their own power. They're trying to run that race we call the Christian life, that marathon. They're trying to run it in their own power and their own strength. And all of a sudden, as we've talked about here, their knees begin to buckle. Their hands begin to get weak. They begin to have their arms down at their side. They are losing ground because they're trying to do it in their own strength. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't live one day in your own strength. Be strengthened on the inside from an outside source. And that is grace. And anytime we need God's grace, Hebrews 4.16, you can go to the throne of God and say, God, I need your grace. In fact, even more than asking for it, we just need to appropriate sometimes what we've got. God's already given it to us. He's saying, just use what you've got. You don't need to plead for more. Just appropriate what you already have. Claim the victory through Jesus Christ that is already yours. Be strengthened. By that grace. Then in verse 11, he talks a little bit about the ceremony. The bodies of those animals whose blood the high priest brings into the sanctuary as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. What the priests would do in the Old Testament, 
They would bring the ox and the bull, the lamb or whatever. They would slay it. Its blood would be put on the altar, but they would then take the, they would drain the blood. Then the carcass of the animal would be taken outside of the camp, outside the city, and would literally be burned in a heap with all the other animal carcasses. So the blood was used at the altar, but the carcass was not used. And the reason he makes that point is to compare uh, Christ's sacrifice. Notice then in verse uh, 11, For the bodies of those animals whose blood the high priest brings into the sanctuary as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, to sanctify the people by His own blood, Jesus also suffered outside the camp. And we must go out to Him then, outside the camp, bearing the abuse He experienced. The next thing I want to focus on tonight is this phrase in verse 13, we must go out to Him bearing the abuse He experienced. You see, when Jesus was crucified, the reason they crucified those criminals outside the city gates was because they were considered cursed. They were considered a criminal. So there was no way that they would be defiling the city of Jerusalem by somehow crucifying them inside the walls of the city. They took those criminals and they crucified them outside the camp, outside the walls, outside of Jerusalem, so that their curse and their defilement wouldn't come upon the people within the city. And He became a curse, Galatians 3.13 says for us, so that we might have the righteousness of God. And Jesus Christ willingly took all of that shame and all of that reproach and all that abuse, and He suffers out there, outside, on Passover weekend, where there were thousands upon thousands of Jews there, because He is saying to all of us down through history, I'm not ashamed to declare in front of everyone my love for you. And I am demonstrating my love for you all for all time by not being ashamed to identify myself and to say, here I am. Here's my love here. I spread out my, my arms to you. Here I am. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's challenging the readers. He's saying, you guys have gotten to a point in your walk with God where you're, you don't want to suffer anymore. You don't want to go through the persecution. You don't want to go through the, the, the giggles and, and the laughter and the abuse and the, all of that. You're backing up a little bit. You, you want it to be a little bit easier on you. And he reminds them of Jesus and said, listen, Jesus so openly demonstrated his love out there for us. Could there ever come a time where we're going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ and be ashamed to take a stand for Christ? He says we should not. We should be willing to go out to Him outside the camp as well. And we should be willing to demonstrate our love for Jesus out there just as Jesus demonstrated His love for us. Bearing the abuse. If there's times in our life where we suffer because we're a Christian, the Bible says you're blessed. You're blessed. In fact, the Spirit of God will rest upon you. Many, many down through history have suffered for their faith and even given up their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never had a chance, I'd encourage you to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a pretty thick book, but it chronicles a lot of those down through history, from the time of Christ and the apostles, all the way up to pretty much modern times of those who've actually given up their lives for Jesus Christ. That's what the writer is saying. Don't, don't throw in the towel. Don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Remember what Jesus did for you and let that motivate you to go out to Him bearing the abuse 
he experienced. One other thought, and then I'll stop for any questions or comments. Notice also in verse 14, the thing he continually reminds them of throughout this book is keep looking at eternity and keep living from an eternal perspective. He says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That city is described in the book of Revelation. It's called the New Jerusalem. But here's what what the writer is simply saying. Don't get caught up in the temporal. Don't get caught up in just the few years you and I are alive here on the earth. Remember what James says in James 4.14. Our life is just a puff of smoke. We are just here for a short time on this earth and then we're gone. That's how short life is. Even if I live to be a hundred years compared to eternity, it's a drop in the bucket. And so he says, don't, don't focus everything on this life, but use this life as a preparation for what is really important. And that is forever and ever and ever and ever. So don't get caught up in the here and now. Don't let just the here and now discourage you. Recognize that everything in life goes through a season and this too will pass. And you'll go on to something else. But this life is so short compared to eternity. When you think about that, we're going to be up there for 10 million years and we'll still be gone. So we're just getting started. (laughs) 10 million years and we're just getting started because there's no end. It's forever. It's eternity. And so he says, as these, he said, so don't, don't just get, it's so easy for us though, to get caught up just on the things of earth and like this earth is all there is ever going to be. And he says, get your eyes up, get them on Christ, get them on the future, get them on eternity, get them on that city that is to come. One other thing, it's very interesting to me that he uses the word city here twice in this verse. The reason being because a city, we all know from is a place where we gather, where we come together as people, where we live together and work and shop and play and all of that and and get an education, all of that. God is saying, I recognize that. That I created you to be a social people. A people who interacts with each other. So one of the cool blessings about heaven is not just being with Jesus, but being with all the other saints all down through history. And we all live in this city together. And some of these great Bible characters that you've always wanted to sit down and talk to, you'll be able to do that because we're all going to live in that city together. So if you've ever wanted to have a conversation with Mary, the mother of Jesus or Noah or Moses or Abraham or Esther or somebody like that, again, you can sit down, talk with them for a thousand years. You don't have to look at your watch because you won't have a watch going, oh, I got another appointment. Appointment for what? You're going to be there forever. And so you can you're going to be in this city together and it's just going to be a wonderful... And one of the great things about heaven is that God is just going to unite us all and reunite and those who went before us who are there, uh, we're going to see them and spend eternity with them. I mean, that's what the city is supposed to remind us of. God's going to bring us together. Heaven is not this place where I'm isolated from everybody and all that kind of stuff. He's going to be there And He's going to be the very center of all that goes on. But we're all going to be there together, praising Him, worshiping Him, learning about Him, serving Him. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful forever. Keep going after that city that is to come rather than keeping focused on the city that doesn't last. That doesn't last. All right. Comments, questions before we move on. There's a lot going on there in that question. (laughs) 
We'll save that for next week. No, no. I, I know this isn't the answer you're looking for, okay? But honestly, the best answer I can give you is only God knows their heart. Only God knows their heart. Did they accept Christ at one time? And then because they, they lived in this legalistic, you've got to have all these rules down, that they became so discouraged because they couldn't live up to those rules, which again is why we can't. Because those rules weren't given to us to be able to have the power to live. It's only through grace. And then they get so discouraged that they can't. They throw up their hands and go, well, I'm just going to live however I want to. And they've, they've went that route. Or was it a case where they never really came to Christ in the first place? And that just discouraged them from ever coming to Christ. Because they thought that living for Christ meant I had to try to be perfect my whole life. And there was no way after living that way for a couple of years, I realized I could be perfect. And so it discouraged them. All I can say is only God knows their heart, but this is, this is a great question because this is one of the reasons why good Bible teaching and good Bible preaching and why knowing what the Word of God really says and why not false teaching and, and counteracting is so important because it can blow up people's lives. If you and I don't handle the Word of God correctly, as I believe what happened in that case, those poor people are suffering needlessly because this Bible, which is a great tool, just like any tool, like the computer, the internet, you name it, if it gets in the wrong hands, it can be used also for great evil. And that's why the Bible says that when we study the Word of God, and especially those of us who teach the Word of God, we better cut it straight. We better get it right. Because every time I stand in front of a group of people, I realize that I could literally ruin their lives or the opposite, I could be a great encouragement to them if I handle it correctly. And that's why I study as much as I do. Because I don't want to be one of those that ruins people's lives with the Word of God. I want to encourage them with the Word of God. But it happens all the time. And that's where we have to be careful uh, about what we hear and what we adopt and checking it out for ourselves. But it's something that... You're, you and your family and friends that were all in that, you're certainly not the only ones that were, that, you know, were raised in that and, and struggled with that. But thank you for sharing that. Yeah, grace is a great concept, but boy, if you grew up without it, it's tough. It's tough. Yes. I have a question, and it's not based on my knowledge of the Bible. It's just based on a belief that I was raised with, and so I don't know how it relates to the Bible. But um, I was raised in the LDS church, and so I was that if you didn't have an opportunity to accept Christ as your Savior on earth, that there would be an opportunity in the afterlife prior to the city that you talk of, eternity. And I'm curious if it references that in my book and there's to that. No. In fact... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I... Okay, wait a minute. Let's rewind that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Well, but this is important. And in and, and Hebrews 9.27, I think, answers uh, that question. Hebrews 9.27, a book that we're in, says, And just as people are appointed to die once and then to face judgment. There is no second chance after death. The Bible clearly teaches that all men are appointed to die once, and after that is judgment. Boom. 
that's it. There is, no, there is nothing in the Bible about people getting uh, a second chance. Our chance, and God will pursue us down here on earth, there is no chance after, after we die. I mean, in a sense, after we die, it's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I think I'd like to change my mind. No, Bible says if you're not going to listen to God's word on this side of eternity, you're not going to listen to God on the other side of eternity either. If the opportunity doesn't present itself, are you saying that the opportunity presents itself for every being? Yep. Yep. In fact, in the book of Romans, what we're going to study next fall, the book of Romans starts out by saying God has reached out to every human being. No human being goes into eternity without a chance to come to know Christ as their Savior. I truly believe that's what the Bible teaches. No one is... So, here's what Paul would say in Romans 1. Everyone on earth for all time is without an excuse. That's the way he puts it. No human being can stand before God at judgment and say, but God, I never had a chance to know you. I never had a chance to have a relationship with you. God would say, no excuse. No excuse. Would your explanation be then that people who are born into different circumstances, obviously there's... Christian children who are born into very good homes, so it's there. It's there for them, and they're raised in that environment. And then there's other children who are raised in a broken home, and mm-hmm. perhaps have things that happen to them as a child that have long-lasting effects on them. Why would God make it more difficult to have a relationship with Him for some rather than others? Is it that they were more mature than us in heaven, or I mean, what is that? I'm I'm going to answer that question. I'll probably surprise you with the answer. Many times the people who grow up in Christian homes have a harder time accepting Christ than the ones who grow up in broken homes. They take it for granted. Uh, I'll just say to you, I, I, uh, one of the things I've had the opportunity to do over the years is speak at different schools and universities and whatnot. And you go to some Christian schools and, and Christian universities, and a lot of times the attitude is, I've heard this all before, this really, it doesn't, it doesn't mean, it. they don't appreciate what, yeah, it does, and they don't make it personal. For them, they're just living off their parents' and grandparents' faith and whatever, but they've never really made it personal. This is just what I'm supposed to do, and I'm just sort of in this stream of life, and I just follow through. Where a lot of times the people who are outside of that, oh my goodness, they're like, you wouldn't believe. I, I, I appreciate it, I acknowledge it, I recognize it. So I think, again, I, I don't think it's necessary. Again, we have to be careful. Because we always look at things, again, from a human perspective, how we think. And God says, you've got to understand something. I'm much wiser than you are, and my ways are not your ways. And so you have to be careful, again, that when you come and we start thinking about things like that, that we approach it from how we're thinking about it, and our wisdom is leading us. And that's why we've got to get back to this and just trust this. Because this is God's perspective on it, rather than using our own wisdom. As the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so, we can't use our own wisdom and intellect. We've got to let God reveal himself to us. Yes? Okay, so you have this kid who's uh, born into a Buddhist family and as a baby he's given up to be a monk in a Buddhist temple. Okay? And he doesn't have any knowledge of Jesus Christ, anything but Buddhism in his entire life, and they raise him to be a priest. That guy dies. What opportunity did he have to receive Jesus Christ? The book, again, we have to trust God. The book of Romans says every human being has an opportunity. 
that he has revealed himself to every human being within them. See, we look at it from an outside influence. What outside influences are they getting or not getting? But we're totally discounting the fact that the Spirit of God works on people pre-salvationally. And that the Spirit of God is omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere, all over the world, everywhere, all times. He is witnessing to their spirit. He is internally trying to draw them to God. So again, we come at it from, I don't see much external good that's going on here, but we, we can't discount the internal witness of the Spirit of God and the fact that the book of Romans says they have creation. And creation is supposed to draw them to the real God, and if they will open up their hearts to the light that God gives them through creation, then that's just a step towards that, that God will continue to give them more light until they come to know Christ as their Savior. Questions over here? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, there's, as we've said, in the book of Revelation, it says there's going to be people in heaven from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every dialect. There's going to be people from every nation there. Uh, so it's not like, you know, because of the Chinese who live right now in a communist country that somehow they... I think there are millions of Chinese people going to be in heaven. I think we're going to be... Oh, my goodness. Because, again, we don't know what God is doing, you know. God is working in all nations and all peoples and everything. And if you heard some of the revivals that are taking place in some of these foreign countries like Iran and Iraq and China and, and Vietnam and North Korea and places like this where we would say, oh, God, God you know, we're limiting God. God can work anywhere and do anything and bring people to himself. Don't put God in the box. Yes. Yeah, I think God wants to use us to reach out to people. But like in First Corinthians, it says that, you know, with all waters, with power of plants, there's one way or the other, but it's God that causes it to work. Yeah. It's not us that saves people. Right. You know, and it also says that we didn't come in convincing words or anything. And it's, it's the Spirit's power. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. God does it. And like you said, God wants to use this. He doesn't have to. He wants to use this to share that blessing of leading people to Christ and, and, and building them up. But it's God who does, who does it ultimately. And we've got to trust that God is always at work. One of my favorite verses is in the Gospel of John where it says God's always working. Now again, we might not see Him working or we might not think He's working on that relative who I really want to come to Christ and I do... But he's working. You've got to understand, he's working on them all the time. He wants them to go to heaven more than you do. More than you. He loves them more than you do. He loves the whole world, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He loves them. He will do everything he can except force them to accept him. He will not violate their free will. He will let them have a choice. But everything up to that point, He will do everything He can as God to bring people to Him. From my viewpoint, what I have found over the years is it's not that God did something once and then whoop. It was like they had chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. And I always say I think that people who go out into eternity without Christ go out there into eternity without Christ having probably rejected God hundreds of times. And his advances to them hundreds of times in their lifetime. We don't know the number of times within their spirit that God was working on them and they just, nope, not listening, God. Just kept moving on. And that's what we have to trust. We have to trust the Word of God rather than our own feelings and the way our perceptions are leading us.
Good stuff. Yes. My my personal belief is that children who have not do not have the capacity yet to accept Christ as their Savior go to heaven. Go to heaven. So, yeah. Get back to the gentleman's question about I, my testimony is I used to be a drinker, not an alcoholic, but when I got saved, the Holy Spirit come into me, and every time I took a drink after that, I felt guilty. I used to drink on the weekends or sit around with a friend, and I'm sitting there watching Saturday Night Live, not laughing, not enjoying <laughs> that drink. It used to be really bad. You were getting convicted, weren't you? I did, but I did fall off the wagon. I did. Right. I went back to it. And I tell you, I didn't have any fun. Yeah. Because your conscience was bothering you and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the... I tell people, sometimes people like here at Cornerstone or down through me, the years of me being a pastor, they'll become a Christian. And then they'll come up a couple weeks later and they'll come around, Pastor Jeff, I'm just not saved. I, I, it just didn't take for me. And I go, why? They go, I'm just miserable. I, I just see how much sin I do. And, and, and oh, I'm just doing all these bad things. I said, that's great. And they're looking at me like, what? I go, don't you realize what's happening? I said, you have an awareness of the sin in your life now that you didn't have. You're more sensitive to it. Before you became a Christian and you had Christ and you had the Holy Spirit, you could do those things and it wouldn't bother you. You actually enjoyed it. But now that you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't enjoy it. You go out, you tell a lie, guess what? Your conscience bothers you, you told a lie, and the Holy Spirit convicts you about the lie. So you're right. It's a new awareness of sin. And instead of looking at it in a bad light, in a negative light, like, oh my goodness, I'm so aware of all these things I'm doing, look at it that that's great. That's God's life in you. And now He's starting to make you aware of these things. And slowly, He's going to bring you to where He wants you to be, to be like Jesus Christ. It's so awesome what God does. Amen? By His grace. Let's move on, or we're going to have to do Hebrews again next week. (laughs) All right, that's okay. You know what? I might be able to do a combination of Hebrews and the questions. Verse 15 of chapter 13. I love this verse. Through Him, let, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips acknowledging His name. And here's the point I want to make. We should be filled... Throughout the day, praising God, praising God, lifting up our voices to Him, worshiping Him that way. But notice the only way that happens is, again, not by us, not in our strength. It's through Him. It's through Jesus Christ, through Him. The, the, the first two words of that verse really are the key. Because I cannot continually, throughout the day, be praising God and be filled with praises unless Jesus Christ is enabling me to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. And it's a sacrifice sometimes. Sometimes I don't feel like praising God. Sometimes the circumstances of my life aren't like, oh God, this is a great life, you know. But I can always find something to praise God for. First of all, I praise God that He loves me. And that I have a relationship with Him. And see, I can praise God for the things that do not change. God in my life is that still point in a world that keeps turning. That's what verse 8 is teaching. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. He's that stability. He's that still point in a world that keeps turning and churning and going around. And I keep trying to get off this ride. And, and so there's stability there. And it's through that... 
And it's in that that I can always find something to thank God for. Because there's some things in my life, as we read about last week and studied, that can't be taken away no matter what shaking is going on. Those eternal things, those things that truly matter, I can praise God that I know Him every day. And for the blessing spiritually that He gives me, no matter what's going on in my life. And then notice, though, God wants a balanced life. He doesn't want me to just love Him in word. He also wants me to demonstrate my love for Him in deed, and especially in doing good to others. Notice verse 16. And do not neglect to do good. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased with these. Do not neglect to do good. See, it's not just also just talking the talk. It's walking the walk. It's being that good Samaritan. And it's saying, yeah, I love God and God, you're wonderful and all of that. But if I see an opportunity that I can help somebody and I don't help them, John says in 1 John, then how does the love of God dwell in that person? I need to demonstrate my love for God by loving others, as we've talked about here in the book of Hebrews 2. Having that brotherly love we talked about in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 13. And then I want to leave you with this tonight. Very important. Notice also in verse 16, he says, and share what you have. We'll pick up verse 17 to the rest of the chapter. Then next week and answer some questions. I want to direct your attention, though, to this phrase. Verse 16, share what you have. Notice God doesn't say share what you don't have. He says share what you have. And a lot of times, you know, when we read that verse in the context and stuff, we're thinking, Okay, he means like monetarily or, or uh, you know, materially. He wants me to share what I have with others because it's in the context of doing good. But if you study that phrase, more what he's talking about is this. Whatever you've got, whatever you've got, whether it be monetarily, materially, but even more ability, talent, gifts, whatever, energy, just give it to God. Just share what you have. Because when you and I give what we have to God, then God can take it and multiply it and use it. This is found throughout the Word of God. I mean, you think about, again, about David, we talked about, just went out there as the shepherd boy, not as Saul's armor bearer with all of Saul's armor on to meet Goliath. He just went out there as a shepherd boy and slayed the Goliath with just what he had as a shepherd boy, the five stones and the sling. And then you think about in the New Testament, the story of how Jesus fed thousands of people with just what that little boy's lunch had in it. Those five loaves of bread and those two fishes. All, all the little boy did was just share what he had with Jesus and look at what Jesus did with it. What Jesus is asking of you and I tonight is not to share what we don't have. He never expects us to share with others and with Him what we don't have, but just give Him what you have and let Him take it. Let me give you an illustration of this. Probably the best one in the Bible. You can leave Hebrews now. We're going to and go back to the book of Exodus, to Exodus chapter 4. Here's where we're going to wrap it up tonight. I love this. Exodus chapter 4. I want to ask you a question tonight. Same question that God asked Moses. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Here's, here it is. Exodus chapter 4. God is trying to, you know, at this point, talk Moses into going. And Moses answered again, and if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but say the Lord has not appeared to you, you know, what do you want me to do? And the Lord responds in Exodus chapter four, verse two, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. 
or a rod. And the Lord said, of course, throw it down to the ground. So he threw it down to the ground and it became a snake and Moses ran from it. Now, on and on and on, you know, God is trying to draw Moses a picture. Again, the reason why Moses objected to what God had called him to do, because he looked at himself. And says, I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not the leader you're really looking for. Surely there's somebody else that can do this. Again, making all kinds of excuses. And God isn't with excuses because God says, you don't understand. You're looking at you. Get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on me. And let me just take what you have and use it to bring honor and glory to me and to help everyone around you. And that's what he was illustrating through the rod. Because notice this rod of Moses. I love this. Now go over to verse 20. Same chapter. Then Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of... Wait a minute. That was Moses' staff. But now Moses' staff has become the staff of God. Because Moses just shared what he had. What is that in your hand, Moses? It's a staff. Oh, okay. So if I just give that staff to God, that doesn't become Moses' staff anymore. That becomes the rod of God. And God was going to use that staff to part the Red Sea and to do all kinds of miracles in the presence of Pharaoh. God never asked Moses to share what he didn't have. Moses, what do you got? I got a rod, God. That's it. That's all I got. God says, guess what? We're going to use that rod. You need to be encouraged tonight. The the Hebrews were giving up. And the writer of Hebrews, one of the things he was saying is, look, don't give up. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Be strengthened by God's grace. And, And realize that God can use you and is using you and wants to use you even more. And don't ever look at it as what I don't have. I don't have the education. I don't have the Bible background. I don't have the Christian upbringing. I don't have the training. I don't have this or that. All God is saying to you right now and to me right now is, what's that in your hand? I want what you have. Let me take what you have right now and let me use that. Because the cool thing is, if we share what we have with God right now and see what He can do with that, then as God begins to grow us, and mature us, and progress us, and take us a little bit further in our walk with God, then we've got even more to share. God, look over here. i got a little bit of Bible education, you know, that I can use. And I've studied the Bible now a little bit more, so I can use that, right? Yeah, yeah, you can use that. And so as we pick up experiences throughout our life, and as we do get a little bit more into the Word of God, and we you know, understand things a little bit better. That's just more that we can give to God to use in unbelievable ways that we never dream. But we've got to get our eyes off ourselves. Keep our eyes on God. Share what you have. God never asks for what you don't have. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank You so much for the encouragement of Your Word. And Lord, I just pray tonight that uh, as we leave this place and as we go home tonight, Lord, that our minds and hearts would just meditate upon the truth that we've 
seen tonight. God, most of all, I just pray that all of us would just continue to keep our eyes focused squarely on you. And Lord, that we would allow your grace to strengthen us and just keep us moving forward in spite of what we're facing in life right now. God, help us never to give up. Help us just to keep moving forward. We thank you, Father, for this group. Bless them, Lord. And just bring us back one more time next week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are terrific. Have a great week and see you again next week.